0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Land of Hope podcast. Come with us this week as we plant our feet in the Land of Hope. So just as the gospel is expanding and being scattered, right? So Stephen is martyred, It says the disciples were scattered or sown throughout the surrounding areas. And then all of chapter 8 is describing what happened in Samaria. Philip is in Samaria. Samaritans receive Jesus. They get baptized. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch on the road, and he is water baptized and heads down to Ethiopia, So what it sounds like is that just as the gospel and the disciples have been scattered into these surrounding areas, now Saul is trying to keep up with them. He's trying to make sure that just because they left Jerusalem doesn't mean the persecution has ended. So he's trying to catch up with them where they are. So Saul's working to keep up with the disciples. He wants to go to Damascus, which must have been a place that many of the disciples were scattered to, many of believers were scattered to, because Paul makes that his specific goal, get to Damascus, and search out Jewish Christians there as well, so that in his zeal, he goes through all the necessary steps to legally prosecute Christians. Okay, Because if he has a letter from the high priest— Because the high priest and the Roman governors have a relationship. Now, it's a tense relationship, but Judaism is allowed under Roman rule. But in order to execute someone, the priests have to have the permission of the Roman government. Okay, So that's why when they're executing Jesus, they're saying, in our law, he's done something worthy of execution, and Pilate has to sign off on it right? He has to be able to say, yes, you can do that. So that is what Saul is trying to do. He's trying to set up a system in which he can legally prosecute these Christians, even if they're outside of Jerusalem. So having brought them back to Jerusalem, they would have stood trial just as Jesus did and either be sentenced to flogging or possible execution, like I said, if the Roman government approved it. So Saul's basically saying, if you're gonna scatter and keep spreading the good news, I'm gonna find you. Okay, so that is how kind of exuberant he is in his want to seek out and stifle every bit of following Jesus that there is. It says in verse three, now as he was traveling, it happened that he was he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Or, literally, why are you pursuing me? Why are you hunting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting or pursuing. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Now, when Paul tells the story later in Acts, when he relates the story again, He'll say that they heard the voice, but they didn't understand what they were hearing. And it's possible that the voice was speaking to him in Hebrew, which he would have understood as a student of the law. But the men with him only spoke Aramaic or Greek, which were the common languages of the day. So contrast this story. He's on the road to Damascus. He's knocked on his booty by a bright light. A voice comes and says, why are you pursuing me? And contrast this story in light of the story we heard last week of Philip also taking a road through the desert and hearing the voice of the Spirit. Later, Paul will say that the Holy Spirit has said to him, why do you kick against the goads, which is a way of talking about like oxen who, instead of being led, have to be like poked to get where they're supposed to be going. So we have the contrast of Philip and Paul here. Philip listens and obeys as he's being sent. Doors are opening. He's witnessing the miracle of a Gentile and a foreigner and a eunuch being open and responsive and hungry for Jesus, responding, being baptized, being sent. And then we have Saul pursuing Christians to kill them, also on a desert road, upright in all the religious laws, filled with zeal for righteousness, but not hungry for truth. He's self-assured, he's hard, and God has to put him flat on his back for him to listen. So you understand that the writers of Luke in Acts has the story of Saul directly after the story of this Ethiopian eunuch. You cannot get more unclean in Jewish law than a foreigner and a eunuch. So this eunuch is soft and responsive and open and hungry. Please tell me what this means. How can I understand unless someone tells me? And then you have Saul who is self-righteous and full of zeal and literally has to be blinded and knocked off his horse or whatever to hear the voice of the Lord. In Mark 8.18, Jesus quoted Jeremiah to the Jewish people and he said, Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? He was saying, your eyes are open to these religious things, but you can't actually see the heart of God. And it says, Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So what is God trying to show Saul in this moment? What's the point of him being blind? Throughout scripture, we have prophetic gestures. In, in theological, if you were in like in a theology class, they'd call it prophetic pantomime, which is where we have physical representations of spiritual realities. So I'll give you some examples, right? We have a drought in the land to represent Israel's spiritual barrenness, okay? Back in the Old Testament, we have Moses striking a rock for water just as Jesus will be struck in order to give us new life when they're in the desert. So there are these gestures that happen throughout Scripture that are physical, but they represent a spiritual reality. They're symbolism, right? Right? And so Saul here is part of the larger story of Scripture that is prophetic and symbolic in nature. This is how I take it, and people will probably argue with me on this, but this is how Eleanor takes this passage. Just as Christ was dead for three days and raised to life, so Saul is blind for three days and then will be reborn, so to speak. But Saul's blindness is a sign of his spiritual condition. He is the fulfillment of the prophecy saying you have eyes, but you don't see. Though his eyes are open, he cannot see God's truth. And though he sees himself as astute, shrewd, educated, spiritually awake, and serving God by policing holiness, he is actually blind to what God is doing, and on a grander scale, the very character of God himself that his mercy triumphs over his judgment. And so God has allowed him to experience the fullness of his blindness, and as he is blind, his ears become open to the voice of the Lord. It's almost like God is giving Saul blinders and saying, shut out what you see, the way you have been seeing, now listen to my voice. Saul's fast from eating and drinking, right? It says, for three days he was without sight. He neither ate nor drank. Well, Saul's fast from eating and drinking is both a sign of waiting on God. We fast when we're waiting. If we need an answer, if we need breakthrough, the biblical example is fast and pray. Okay, Esther did this as she was waiting for a good answer from the king. It's all over scripture, fast and pray. So fasting from eating and drinking is a sign of waiting on God, but it's also a sign of mourning and contrition. And again, fasting is a physical sign of a spiritual reality. It's saying, I'm empty. I'm waiting on you. If you're mourning, it's saying, I will experience physical discomfort as a physical expression of my heart being sad over my sin. So it's a representation of a spiritual state of sorrow over one's sin. Fasting, especially in the Old Testament, which again is the picture that Saul's coming from, fasting or putting on the clothes of mourning, like sackcloth and ashes, that is a physical representation of the spiritual state of sorrow over one's own sin. So to be blinded by the Lord and then to say, I'm not going to eat or drink until I've heard from him, right? Until I've been restored, until whenever breakthrough occurs, It's a way for Saul to physically give shape to his internal world. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight." So interesting again, God's restoration of Saul and acceptance of him as a follower of Jesus includes another person. He's in this house, his friends have, it says, led him by the hand into this house, but rather than Jesus just being like, I'm Jesus, and Saul being like, okay, it is God's good pleasure to include another person into this story, into the story of salvation, into the story of restoration. So number one, acceptance of, of Saul as a follower of Jesus includes another person, and it also includes a physical act. Lay your hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So Are you seeing that in this passage, the physical reality is so important? It's not just spiritual. It's not just me in my heart, between me and the Lord, but that it includes other people. But it also includes people's physical bodies. Lay your hands on him, being spiritually blind, not eating or drinking for three days in mourning. And I think this is something sometimes that because we have, um, in America, we have somewhat of a puritanical vein Coming through our history and our culture is that we think body bad, spirit good, right? So my body is evil, it'll pass away, I can't wait to get out of this body. And then, but the spiritual is good, right? The body is sinful, the spiritual is holy, right? But that's not actually a biblical way of looking at things because what it does is it cuts our physical bodies off from our spiritual world and they are supposed to be one. All that we are is supposed to be worshiping God. Not just our minds, not just our emotions, but our physical bodies as well. And I think that's very important because we don't have a good theology of the physical. We're like, the physical really doesn't matter when we're talking about spiritual things. But I think the scriptures are saying it's important the physical things are just as much a part of your story as the spiritual things are. Isn't that interesting? This idea, this physical act, lay your hands on him so he might regain his sight, as if the Holy Spirit couldn't with his pinky finger regain Saul's sight like that. But he's like, take a journey, go somewhere, physically lay your hands on him so he can regain his sight, right? And this is why we lay our hands on people to pray. This is why we anoint people with oil. This is why we lift our hands in surrender During worship because our physical bodies matter. What we do matters. This is why we take communion and don't just say, remember that Jesus died for us. Remember that he broke his body and shed his blood for us. No, we take a physical cracker. We take a physical drink, right? So Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man. That is never good. (laughs) You like never want a scripture to be written about you like that. I've heard of her. I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he did to your holy ones in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So the news of what Saul is doing has already reached them up there. Man, that's quick. And Ananias is able to tell God his thoughts about this and make sure that God has all the information right? Um, but it's very hard to go forward in obedience if we haven't had a chance to express our doubts or worries. And this is why the like, uh, do you guys remember a long time ago, I preached a sermon about lament as worship. Do you Remember that? Well, I, I preached that sermon two other places, and I, I preached it in Ellensburg and at our old church. and um, And on the day, people were very responsive. And then I saw my buddy Steve at district conference, and he said, yeah, I had some older dudes be like, but what about the joy of the Lord? And I'm like, well, it's not that it's not about the joy of the Lord. But if we don't express our doubts or worries, it is very hard to go forward. Right? Just saying, it doesn't matter, I shouldn't feel that way, is not helpful when it comes to the kingdom of God. We're able to say, "I don't want to. I'm scared. This seems risky. What about my kids? What about my friends? What will this person think?" All of that expression is not grumbling until we until we start assigning attributes to the character of God. It becomes grumbling when we're like, "Well, you've never been good to me anyway." That's when it becomes grumbling, right? That's when it becomes the Israelites in the desert. But saying like, Lord, I am really worried. I am really concerned. I don't want to lose my relationship with that person. I'm, you, know, you know what I'm saying? That is important. And Ananias does that here with no slap on the hand from the Lord. Right? But the Lord said to him, go ahead, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer in behalf of my name oh, what a beautiful calling. Can you imagine if we just anointed people and we're like, Lord, as they suffer for you, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's not the happiest thought. Well, at least for us, it isn't. But I'll break that down in a second. First of all, God calls him a chosen instrument. And I want you to keep in mind that Saul's chosenness is not in regards to his salvation. It's in regards to his calling, I have chosen him for this task. He's an instrument of the Lord. When I say the word instrument, what do you think of? I think of like a violin. You might think of like a wrench. Something that is of its own fit, but is used in the hands of someone who knows what they're doing. An instrument or a vessel. So the other word that they use there, it could be instrument or vessel. When you think of a vessel of the Lord, what do you think of? The word vessel. Something that holds something, right? So he's a chosen instrument of mine. He's a chosen vessel of mine. And it says to the Gentiles, because Saul's main calling will be to people who are not Jewish. And kings, because he will stand before Caesar and the Roman government and give his explanation. He will share the gospel to them. And sons of Israel. So he will also speak to the Jews, specifically ones who will respect his reputation because of where he's come from as an enforcer of Jewish law. And then he says, I will show him how much he must suffer in behalf of my name. Wait, what? Like that's where the record scratch, right? You're like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. But I want to remind you of what I've said many times before, that every time an angel shows up and says, blessed and highly favored, or blessed and chosen one, or you have been chosen, who are we talking about? We're talking about Mary. We're talking about Jeremiah. We're talking about Elijah. We're talking about John the Baptist. We're talking about Jesus. And this is like the blessed and chosen and favored. It's like, (laughs) don't you hashtag bless, man. (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't know you want to, I don't know if you want to, yeah, claim that. But why is this important? Number one, it's not going to be a cakewalk. And I think it's important that Ananias knows that Paul will suffer. Sounds rude, but I'll tell you why. Because Ananias needs to know that Saul's going to pay a price, and that's not because he needs to pay a price for what he's done to Christians, but rather I believe that Ananias needs to know he will suffer alongside the church just as Ananias has suffered. In that way, God is telling Ananias, Saul will become one of you just as the church has suffered, just as you've lost Stephen, just as you've been persecuted, so Saul will suffer too. So it's not payback. It's giving him this piece of saying, he'll be one with you guys. But secondly, that great things come with great suffering. And here's the secret, okay? As much as it's like... I'm good. YOLO. I don't want to. Is that what kids say? I don't want to suffer if that's what the call of God entails. But I will tell you something. We suffer with Jesus or we suffer without him. If you are a human on this earth, you won't ever get away from suffering. There is no escape, there is no road you can take. Where there will not be suffering. So we suffer with and for Jesus, or we suffer without Him and for no eternal purpose. But the suffering will always be there. That is the human experience. It says, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me to you so you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias obeys and lays his hands on Saul. He calls him brother because of what the Lord has said, not because of what Saul has done. Amen. He says, regain your sight. So reinstated, Saul is reinstated to a new orientation of seeing. And it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias prays for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But wait, Saul has not been water baptized. There really is no formula in Acts this like salvation, water baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues right away. It's just, there's just no formula. It's almost like the Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants. Ah! okay. <laughs> I feel like the person in the situation, Ananias, Philip, Peter, John, they just go with it. It's just what Barb was saying this morning, right? It's like don't prepare, don't have like the three steps ready, just come into the situation waiting on the Holy Spirit and just go with it. It doesn't have to be A, B, C, D, right? Philip had John and Peter come down to baptize the Samaritans and the Holy Spirit after he had water baptized them. Philip water baptizes the Ethiopian and is immediately snatched away, right? Ananias has prayed for Saul to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that coincides with Saul's healing, so miraculous healing, filled with the Holy Spirit, not water baptized yet, right? That comes last in this story after miraculous healing and baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just let's seek the Lord and let the chips fall where they may. It says, and immediately something like fish scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. He got up and was baptized. He took food and was strengthened. So these scales, it says something like fish scales. So basically, you know, what what they're trying to say is, I can't describe to you exactly what it was, but the closest thing I could say is fish scales, right? This is the way that we often represent the things of God that we see. We're like, seeing a vision it's kind of like this and then it's like it's like it's it's murky right and that's okay it says the first thing he does is get water baptized this is the new way remember you can be legally persecuted once you're water baptized so he gets water baptized he breaks his fast the time of mourning and sorrow is over it's time to gain strength for the task at hand being an instrument of the lord And then it says, for several days, last verse, he was with the disciples who were in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the son of God. So Saul stays with these disciples, surely learning as much as he possibly can, right, from these people who knew Jesus. As he's learning before, (laughs) two days, so between the learning and the proclaiming in the synagogues, there is no, it's all, you can just imagine. Can you just imagine the disciples hearing him proclaim in the synagogues and being like, that's not what we talked about? Like, you know, I mean, it must have been some kind of mess. You're learning as you're sharing. Amen? Like, it's just, it's just it just seems a little messy for the church, to be honest. And it says that he was saying Jesus is the Son of God. So he's deifying Jesus, which is the exact point of heresy that he was persecuting, right? Deifying Jesus as the Son of God. And interesting to note here, oh, that the the sign of Saul being filled with the Spirit, because it says Ananias prayed for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He is not speaking with tongues, right? He is, the first sign we are told is... He's going ham for Jesus. Do not look up what the acronym ham means. He's going ham for Jesus. He's water baptized. He's learning from the disciples, so he's humble and hungry. And he's proclaiming Jesus publicly. And those are the initial signs of Holy Spirit baptism in Saul's life. We know that Saul did speak in tongues. He often writes in his prison epistles. He says, I wish you all spoke in tongues as much as I do. He says that. So it's not that he doesn't, but that's not the first sign that's mentioned here. And I think that's very important. That we say, listen, it seems like the main, the first, the most intense sign of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is boldness to proclaim the name of Jesus. His eyes are opened. He's healed. He has deep sorrow over his sin, the pain he's caused others, and dishonoring God. He's filled with the Spirit. He is humble and willing to learn. He obeys and he opens his mouth and tells others about Jesus. Because this story here is the story of a conversion experience. That's what this is. It's a template for a conversion experience. Very different than the Ethiopian eunuchs, but includes other people, is powerful, is clearly orchestrated by the Holy Spirit and not someone's ability to say all the right things or do all the right things, right? And so as we read this, I hope we are encouraged to, first of all, remember our own conversion experience. To look back on all the conversion experiences we have in our walk with God, right? Because this is also a continual process. But also to have hope that we can trust the Holy Spirit to be at work. That we can trust the Holy Spirit to be doing what he does as we are sometimes Saul and sometimes Ananias, right? So wherever you are today, would you close your eyes, and let's just reflect for a moment. And maybe it would be helpful to tell the Lord right now, you know, Lord, I, I, I feel like I'm where Saul is. I need my eyes to be opened. I need to be reoriented. I need my eyes kind of open to spiritual things. I want to get softer and I feel like I'm getting harder. So, if that's you, let's just acknowledge that. And then, maybe in this story right now, we're Ananias, where we're like, man, you want to use me to bring someone into your kingdom? Here's my concerns (laughs) What will I do? What formula will I use? And you identify with Ananias in this story. So Lord, we come to you this morning. And we thank you that your word says, in fact, Paul will write, that your power is made perfect in our weaknesses. In the places that we feel inept and uneducated, the places where we feel like we're not eloquent, we don't know exactly. Lord, we cast ourselves on you to build relationship with our neighbors, to pray for a co-worker, to go deeper in our personal times with you at home, for another layer to be revealed to us as we read your word and we spend time with you. Lord Jesus, we trust you to be good to us. And so, Lord, Today, God, I I pray that your spirit of encouragement would come now and rest on us, Lord. I thank you that your word isn't a slap on the hand, but, Lord, it's it's like a chuck on the shoulder or a pat on the back, saying, don't take it so seriously. Just listen to me and go. So, Lord, we offer ourselves to you this morning. We offer ourselves to be instruments and vessels, Lord, we offer ourselves to be part of your story, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, thanks for tuning in today. If anything that you heard moved you or touched you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. So please head on over to discoverhope.org and connect with us. And if you'd like to support the podcast or even sponsor the podcast, just head on over to discoverhope.org giving. Thanks.